and gentlemen, welcome back to a special episode of The Overlap. We taking, I guess, a bit of a break from normal soccer activities because that's just not really a thing right now. Um, we're just going to talk about what's going on in the soccer world. Uh, transfers, news, nothing related to games because most players that you know we talk about are with their respective national teams or in preseason training. So it's been a bit of a quiet week. Oh, wait, no, it hasn't, because why would it be? Ah, Rian, 2020 sucks, but <laughs> at least I get to see your face every once in a while. So how you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. You were saying all the stuff about no football activities. Meanwhile, Elise and I on Sunday, as people may have seen on the Overlap Twitter account, were able to actually play soccer again together. We were and with like, and not just by ourselves. Like we actually got into a, a bit of a three v three game, and Elias may or may not have been dying after like twenty minutes, but he caught his second wind and, and <laughs> just masterful throughout the game. Played some really, really was, nice passes. Played some very nice passes in that game. Yeah. So my, I mean, when I was growing up, my what's it called my idol wasn't Messi, it wasn't actually messy. Like I think a lot of people think that way, but. My idol was actually Andres Iniesta. Um, so that's always the player that I aspire to be. But yes, I was winded after yeah. about 25 just, just minutes. Just one step below him, by the way. <laughs> He's just one step below. <laughs> yes, my name is, in fact, Arturo Vidal. Um, <laughs> no, it, yeah, I was winded after 20, 20 25 minutes because that was the first time that I'd properly run like that much since well before quarantine. Um, so it's been months since I've been, you know, probably running around outside and holy crap, I was, I was dying, but I would love to go back out again in the near future and do it because it was, it felt really good the next day. Um, and Rian and I went back to his place after, and he did the correct thing in stretching. I did not. And I felt the effects of that the next day. So definitely stretch every time before and after you play soccer kids. Um, the, it'll, the funny thing is like I stretch, you. I was stretching my, I'm stretching my back as people are listening right now. Like I've been having some back problems recently, which may or may not have had to do with the makeshift couch that was in my living room for the last six weeks. But there's a new couch in there that is so firm. And I think that's actually like 80% of the reason that my back has been absolutely <laughs> fucked for the last month. But, uh, I know I, I stretched my back out, but nothing with my legs or anything. And I'm still feeling sore actually <laughs> two days later, oh, really? two days later, I'm still feeling it like in my quads, still a little sore, but you know, how do you, how do you know that you're alive unless you're <laughs> in pain? Of course. Right. Um, definitely not a healthy way of looking at it, but I get what you're saying. That's a very fair point. The one thing that I guess, you know, is causing me a lot of pain these days, Rian, is, um, sorry, it's, it just takes me a second. I get choked up just even thinking about it. Um, oh, oh, it's one solitary tear coming down his cheek <laughs> as he speaks. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, you know what a fun fact is? The Champions League final was less than 10 days ago. Think about that for a second. The Champions League final was less than 10 days ago, and it feels like we're in a completely different year. Um, of course, in large part due to the Lionel Messi saga. Um, yeah, that's going to be our first topic of conversation, but in some ways, I don't even know where to start because this, I mean, what we know from the last time, you know, we recorded hasn't changed. This is, you know, in terms of large general updates, this is what we know now. Messi still wants to leave. Um, Messi considers himself no longer a player of the club. His lawyers, excuse me, advi advised him not to show up for PCR testing, so COVID testing, which is mandatory to start preseason training. Therefore, Messi has not started preseason training with the team because he considers himself no longer part of Barcelona. We know that his father, Jorge Messi, Messi who's also his agent, um, is traveling right now as we record from Argentina to Barcelona to speak with Bartomeu tomorrow um, on Wednesday, uh, September 2nd, to discuss Messi's exit from Barcelona, his free unilateral exit, as we learned from the new word of the week, Eurofax, last week. Um, 
so that that's what we know about the Messi saga. We don't know what's going to come out of that meeting, obviously, because it hasn't happened. But we do know that the two positions of Barcelona and the board and Messi and his camp could not be farther apart. Um, I think Messi's father is going into that meeting tomorrow, basically saying, well, we're just letting you know that we're leaving and we want us to be amicable. And rumor has it that Bartomeu is coming into that meeting prepared with a two-year contract extension. That's the definition of not listening to what your client wants. <laughs> it's not at all what Messi wants. Messi from the beginning for years has been saying he wants a strong sporting project where he can you know, succeed and where the team can succeed, and it's completely valid. The funny thing in all of this is that Bartomeu, after the 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich, basically came out and said, you know, this isn't an, an institutional problem, right? You know, we don't have an institutional crisis, which... Of course, Barcelona does, but he explicitly said this is a sporting project problem, basically playing into the hands of Messi and saying, well, yeah, we have a problem. And that problem is we don't have a good sporting project. And the reason Messi wants to leave is because we don't have a good sporting project. So Bartomeu dug himself his, his own grave. A lot of people have been asking the question, why hasn't the board and why haven't Bartomeu and the board resigned? The reason why they haven't resigned is just there's only one reason. I'm telling you there's only one reason. You will hear that it's because, oh, they have an obligation to the club. They don't give a shit about this club. They, They genuinely don't. The reason why they haven't resigned is because in, I guess, what you would call the bylaws of of Football Club Barcelona, the board at the end of each term is responsible for the financial debts of the club. And when I say responsible, I mean personally personally liable for those debts. Right now, Barcelona is upwards of 50 to possibly more than 100 million euros in debt. That would all have to be paid back by the individuals on the board, and specifically Bartomeu himself, if he were to resign tomorrow, which is why he has no incentive to resign. <laughs> um, so he will be sticking around until at the very earliest or the, the latest, the March 15th elections, which hopefully fingers crossed sees Victor font, um, the, the likely presidential candidate to replace Bartomeu on the board, uh, take over at that point. But I think Bartomeu just wants this transfer window and the January transfer window to turn a net positive and then move on. So He's finished the club. The club is done and dusted right now. Uh, we're going to endure some years of mediocrity. And as you can see from my lovely cow mug, this is, this is a birthday year, a secret Santa gift, I think. Don't mind this. This is my mood for 2020. Oh, man. Alex, that was so depressing. But <laughs> outside of outside of the Bartomeu stuff, what was like the significance of what we saw? I think it was Sunday where La Liga came out and basically – was on the side of Barcelona. Wow, I can't believe that they were uh, actually siding with the team that might lose the biggest star in their entire league just, what, two years after they lost the other big star in their league, (laughs) which was, like, again, a year or two before they lost the third biggest star in Neymar. They've lost, potentially, Neymar, Ronaldo, and Messi in the last four to five years. Can you explain, like, what... Why would La Liga even come out and back Barcelona's claim that the $700 million release clause for Messi is, in fact, still valid? I mean, basically, just to answer the question, right? <laughs> La Liga don't want to lose arguably the world's best player, best ever player. That's reason number one. Um, number two, financially, it's straining on La Liga. Can you, I mean, can you imagine how much more in TV revenue Lionel Messi would bring to England if he moved to the Premier League? The Premier League is already the largest, you know, marketable league in the world. And you're just moving the greatest ever player over there. Like, I, I can't even imagine. Um, so La Liga obviously is, is afraid of that. So that's number one. Number two, um, I, I think this just goes to show how cowardly the Barcelona board are. The Barcelona board could have put out a simpler statement and just said, this is our stance. And everyone would have been like, yeah, we know you're still a piece of shit, but we get it. Um, Instead, they had to have La Liga do that for them, which is ridiculous. Um, So that's the significance of it. La Liga just wanted to save money. Javier Tebas 
when Neymar left in 2017, basically said Neymar's not going anywhere. He has a release clause and they have to pay it. And, you know, we don't want to let him go, blah, blah, blah. Then PSG paid the release clause and then he couldn't do anything about it. And he looked like an idiot, which is exactly what's going to happen again, by the way. The 700 million, that's the other update. I'll leave it at this. The 700 million euro release clause no longer exists in Messi's contract. It expired at the end of the 2019-2020 season. So, there you have it. But unless they're again, in a bind, they, so they're totally in a bind in terms of figuring out when the, when the season ended. So they can say the season ended in like June, and you can be like, no, all right, then I guess there's no release clause. Or they could say that his clause to be able to leave unilaterally is still uh, like still exists. So either way, it seems like they're fucked and yep. they can't win. Um, but you know, La Liga. No need to worry. You still have Luke DeYoung. So, like, just mark it around him. What's the, what's the hard part here? <laughs> this was the other question that I was going back and forth with in my head today. If Messi leaves La Liga, right, we've seen the three biggest stars, arguably, in the world leave La Liga in the last four years, uh, assuming Messi does. So, Neymar, Ronaldo, and Messi. Who else in Spain is now in the top 10 of all best players in the world? You have to, I mean, that's a genuine question. I, I, I can argue potentially four, I think. Hazard, Griezmann, Terstegen, and Oblak. Those are my four. I, I don't know who else. Maybe Frankie D. The biggest, yeah, the biggest, yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, we don't know. We know that he's a great player, but we don't know how. The, the, he's still potential there. He's still young. He's still young. Right. So we can't say for the for like next year he's going to be the best player in the league or something, right? Right. But it, it's looking like the most established world-class players who have also played in the last 12 months. So Hazard has to kind of be out on that <laughs> one, but it's looking like their biggest stars are, are the two goalkeepers in Ter Stegen and Oblak. So it, it's a weird time for sure for La Liga in terms of, like you said, marketability. Um, maybe this means that, you know, Jao Felix has to get every penalty called now. Next. Yeah. Just wink, wink. Um, Jao <laughs> May or may not be getting some more calls next year to raise his status, but uh, but no, but it is a tough. It's a tough situation. It's a tough situation for the league from a business standpoint. But I, I do think it looks a bit embarrassing from a business side for them to come out and be like, "Yeah, actually, we agree with this team that that the best player can't leave." They are correct. Yeah, of, of course they agree. Why wouldn't they? They have. No reason otherwise, but it, it's a hilarious, just clusterfuck, honestly, at the end of the day. There's no better word to describe it other than that. So that's what we know. I think more news will be known probably later this week. Uh, ultimately, I, I I think Messi's gone. That's the TLDR. I think Messi is no longer on this team, which in, in a weird way for Ronald Koeman is kind of... I don't say good, but it, it puts him in a better position because the expectation is much lower now. Like he came into a terrible team and now he's coming into an even worse team. So he literally can't get worse. More gives so, him more power in the locker room as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So maybe he's in a better position, but I don't know. We'll see that that's the messy situation. Rian, there was one question though, from our, uh, our Q and a that we put out to, uh, to the fans around Messi. Do you, go ahead and ask the question. I saw this and I was, I was just thinking this over. Oh, yeah. So, again, thank you to everyone who sent in questions here today. You know, can never thank you guys enough for actually providing most of the questions legit. Obviously, a few that were not even rated R for this for this uh, <laughs> episode. But, no, no, the one that Elise is talking about here is does Messi like Pep Guardiola or Neymar more? And that could basically also be a question of would he choose between Manchester city and PSG? Like that's as difficult as this question actually might seem. Um, and it's a good question to be fair. I, I think the answer is very clear and I think it's Pep and Manchester city, but like, it, like it's twofold. Messi lived his best ever days under Pep. Um, 
it's crazy to me that he's only won one Champions League in nine years. Pep brought him two in four years. I, I think that's pretty clear. Granted, you know, Neymar's best season in 2015, potentially even 2016-17, um, th- they were good, and, you know, Messi was a big part of that, but Pep was the reason Messi became, you know, entered the, the conversation of best ever, right? He made that team what it is. He he gave them an even greater identity, and Messi was the focal point of that. In, in terms of personality, I don't know, <laughs> but into, from a footballing perspective, I think the answer is pretty clearly Pep, giving him you know some of the best four years of his career, arguably. Yeah, and and I'm going to say from a personality standpoint, Pep is bald, so he can't be that much fun. And <laughs> Neymar, so uh, <laughs> your dad must be great. <laughs> he must love you for that. <laughs> Well, if you're comparing, if you're comparing my dad and Neymar, like, <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, but no, no, I'm gonna go with Neymar purely personality-wise because he just seems like more fun. Pep seems like a guy who would be very calculated whenever you go out with him, and would probably be such a downer most times. Like, so, at least Neymar, it would be fun and not care. Yeah, you really you want to get your samba on. You miss going out, don't you? Yeah, you can you imagine going? You're not going to a nightclub with Pep Guardiola. Like what? That's not gonna. Be, he's yeah, that's not gonna in Mr. Purple, dude. Absolutely not. Please don't ever say Mr. Purple ever again. That's a whole different conversation. But anyway, fair point. Thank you for that question. Um, I think we're gonna take a quick break before we move on to the other questions, and uh, and we'll regroup. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking transfers, news, anything in the soccer world. Our next question, Rian, it's uh, from another one of our listeners. If you were Liverpool, would you want Thiago or Coutinho? And will Liverpool even sign anyone this season? That's a good question. Rian, what are your thoughts on on Liverpool right now? I think we've... I'm going to leave the Coutinho bar a bit more to you. I, I think personally, I would... I don't think it's kind of a no-brainer. I would rather have Thiago at this moment. But I also think Thiago just fits better for Liverpool. This past weekend they played Arsenal in the Community Shield and it was another good it was another good win for Arsenal, another trophy in in uh two and four or five weeks and that that'll be great for the confidence of of that team which like desperately needs confidence, right? And it'll be good for Arteta, but Liverpool were really missing like a center mid, a midfielder who could break lines with the passes. And one of the things that we know Thiago is supremely like world class at doing is those line breaking passes. Like there's there's just a bit of creativity missing in that Liverpool midfield. As I so fondly kind of said to Ellie, is that it's approaching Michael Bradley levels of creativity. <laughs> Fabinho, Wijnaldum, and when you throw in Henderson or switch around for Keita, the, that's not a lot of you know vision and creativity in that in that midfield. Just something that I think Thiago would bring to a team that desperately needs a bit more from their midfield in terms of you know, chance creation. And Thiago's not going to score you goals, but he is sneaky better at defending than I think people will give him credit for. But I just know my favorite quality about him is the amount of passes that he plays. Look at no look passes that break lines. He's looking a complete opposite direction and sprays a pass yeah. to like looks to the right and sprays a pass between like three defenders to his left. Like that kind of thing. None of that is happening in Liverpool's build of play <laughs> right now. Literally zero of that is happening. They had Coutinho already. We know what that is. Every eight weeks, a sick goal. <laughs> outside of that you know so for me I, I still think that they're reportedly in pole position to get Tiago. I think they're facing some competition from Manchester United because that fee for Tiago is still like 30 million is what we're is what 
Um, that isn't expensive to me, though. It is like, not. I, not I at all. Yeah. Not at all. But uh, I'll, I'll leave to your answer between Tiago Coutinho before I get a bit more to, like, will they sign anyone else? I So I agree with your answer. I think the answer is Tiago by far. Um, I think he fits the exact need of what Liverpool are looking for. A creative midfielder that can break lines. That's, <laughs> that's so in demand right now. And Liverpool, of course, I think would benefit the most given how energetic and pacey everyone else is in the team. I don't really need that. So I, I agree. I, I think it's Tiago. In terms of would you Liverpool sign anyone? I do think Liverpool end up signing Tiago just because of, I think how much Klopp really appreciates that profile of player and especially appreciates Thiago. Um, Cause Thiago, I think he's 29. He's not that old and he still has a lot of years, a couple of years. He really left at the top. Especially level. in that midfield, I think too. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, in that They'll midfield. protect him. I think those, those guys run a lot. They'll protect him. Defensively, especially. Yeah. I, I agree with you. So, Tiago, I think, is a great player. I also think that Liverpool are going to offload Juan Yaldum. I don't know where. Um, rumor is potentially Barcelona because Coleman has a hard-on for Dutch players and wants to bring them all to Barcelona now. Um, may, yeah, maybe that's the destination. But I do think they start to, in, in a good way, offload some of their older players, right, that may be getting closer to the, the decline rather than on the up. Um so I, th- I think that's ultimately what Liverpool are probably going to do. I do also think that Liverpool need to invest in a good other center back option. Not to say that Virgil van Dijk is not a top three center back, but to say that you need two center backs in the system that Klopp plays. So Joe Gomez isn't always going to cut it, although he has been better this season. I still think you need a top tier center back um, uh, amongst other things. I, I, th- I maintain that their front three are still fine. As much as people will say, oh, oh, they had a tip at form, blah, 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 I think they gel well, and I don't think you need to change that. So those would be the two things that i change. Uh, yeah, I think the center back's a good shout, at least just to have a bit more cover there. It's still just, they're still kind of relying a bit on, or they were relying still on Dejan Lovren. In game to game last year, as we saw in the in the game against Watford, their their only loss of the season that was also a Dejan Lovren start, and basically the plan from Watford was play the ball in his direction generally, and that's where they were getting a lot of um, a lot of success. But until like there, will they sign anyone? Liverpool's in an interesting spot because a team that won the Champions League two seasons ago and just won the league and have been making the Champions League for the last three years consistently. And yet this summer they have similar to a lot of teams. I mean, they're not the only one have been very cautious about by um, going out and signing players due to the Corona virus um, whole situation. They turned down the opportunity to go get Timo Werner, who was a virtual lock to go to Liverpool before the out, the COVID outbreak and, all the finances got thrown up in the air. They weren't comfortable paying the release clause for Timo Werner. That's, that is a known fact. And that's the only reason that Chelsea was able to kind of sneak in and grab him. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how much they spend this season, because even going into uh, last season, they didn't make any senior team signings. I, I think they made like one for their youth team, but the will they sign anyone else? I, with you, believe that, that it's going to take players going first for them. It, seem, it just seems like that's how they're operating, which is totally fair in this situation. And it's leaving kind of an opportunity for other teams, as, as we've seen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not a bad way of doing business, right? I think this is just a very unique time. And I think it's hard for us to judge from the exterior what club's finances really look like. I think the Timo Werner situation is really interesting for the exact reason that you said, but also because Liverpool are still sitting on money from previous years, unless they invest in different areas that we're not aware of. They're still sitting on a, probably a good amount of Champions League prize money, um, general positioning in the table, and TV money. TV, yeah, like they, they still have capital, so it was interesting that they didn't want to 
I guess almost get a backup for, uh, you know, Bobby Firmino, but may, maybe they don't really see that position as critical, right? I mean, right. Bobby still play, plays every game, 90% of games. So maybe it's not a, a critical position for them. And, and that's, again, valid. Absolutely. Shall we move on to the next question here? Let's do it. Yeah. Big, um, big news coming out of Italy. Um, of course, by most, by now, most people, I think, know that Weston McKinney, um, you know, American teenager that played for Schalke last season, um, has now made a move to mighty Juventus in the Serie A to play with, um, one of the best players of all time, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, notice that I was not being sarcastic in saying any other player. I do acknowledge that. So, Rian, Weston McKinney. Well, are you really jumping out on the limb there, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, I can be honest. I can say things as I see them. Um, but, <laughs> Come on. One of the three. Put some respect on his goddamn name. I will. I will. To four best players ever. Agreed. Agreed. 100% agreed. <laughs> only, only followed up by, you know, Messi, Maradona, Pele, um, and I can go on about a couple more before he's on that list. But sure. Um, anyway, Weston McKinney, how does he fit in at Juventus? This is one of the questions from you know another one of our listeners. I also have this question for you because I'm, I'm interested just from what – I guess the way Juventus set up, right? Juventus have kind of been between, my understanding, a, a hybrid 3-4-3 and a 4-3-3. Um, or not even a four three three, almost a a weird double pivot of sort. Explain to me how Weston Bikini fits in. <laughs> we, yeah, no, no, you're right. They, they've been. Well, the thing is, like they, we don't know at all what it's going to be like because we have no clue what Andrea Pirlo is like as a manager at all. I've seen like a few quotes of him since he's gotten the job. He's. He said um, he watched a lot of like Ajax and I think like PSV and stuff and really enjoyed how they played. <laughs> like, okay, what, what does that mean? Um, and <laughs> so I, so I have no clue what the team setup is going to be like, but if we're just looking at how he fits in with, let's just say the other center mids that are at Juventus, they've got Artur coming in. They've let go of Blaze. Thank you for reminding me of that, by the way. <laughs> I forgot Panish was even coming to Barcelona, but that's a whole other whatever. No, right. No Matuidi, no Pianich is gone. Um, Sammy Kadira is still on the team, but he's 33. Like, I think almost definitely he won't be on that team when by the uh, by time the transfer window closes. But it's still a bit crowded there. They're, they still got Rodrigo Betancourt, Aaron Ramsey, you all, you forget that he joined there on a free last season. Um, and the mercurial Adrian Rabio, who is somehow 25 I, at this point now, I, I really would have That's guessed he's like, still like 22 or something, but yeah. he's getting a bit, he's getting a bit older, but that's what the midfield looks like there. And Betancourt played around like 2000 minutes. Ramsey didn't play around like a thousand Rabio also around 2000. And then last year at Barca, Artur didn't get a crazy amount of minutes either, just around 1,000 minutes. Meanwhile, like Weston McKenney, about 2,000 minutes for uh, Schalke last season. I think that he gives them something different in the sense that out of those players, I think maybe Ramsey is the only one who, could re- who we could really say might, is a bit of a box-to-box type of player in terms of you know, just his playing style. But but I think that really is Agreed. Weston McKinney. I, th- I really think he is like a box-to-box midfielder. I can't remember the podcast I was listening to, but from last week they were talking, um, someone was kind of comparing him to similar playing style to Arturo Vidal, which I could actually see in terms of the athleticism. He's a guy who, if people didn't, if people didn't watch... I mean, again, I was like the only person I think watching these Schalke games from the, <laughs> at all. But I don't think people understand how bad that team was and how many fires he had to put out single-handedly. A lot of games you would watch, and he, at least if you watched him run around 
for if you watch 20 minutes, you would be winded watching him because <laughs> of how much running he did, which was great to watch. But also he literally had to. He literally had to always be running back because they were getting countered a lot and there wasn't really any defensive cover on that Schalke team. And I think there's just a lot that he can do. I th- I don't, I think he's still got to grow. Obviously he's, he's 22. Like he's not a finished product of course, but I think he fits in this team in the sense that he's a different type of player than Artur and Betancourt and Rabio who are Artur's Artur honestly feels Again, I just just a just a playing style thing. He honestly feels a lot a little like Pirlo in the sense always keeps the ball not fantastic defensively, but you know you're not losing the ball when it's going through when he gets it. He's playing not I don't want to say safe passes because that has like a negative connotation sometimes, but yeah, patient, very patient, and rarely loses the ball and keeps things ticking over. So. I think there's a spot in there for Weston in, in terms of, I don't know if he's going to start every single game, but you know, we've talked about this. There's going to be so many games in a short amount of time for the next eight months or so. So he's yeah. going to get a lot of looks. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think Pirlo is the one that ultimately ended up deciding to bring him, but I don't think this exactly. is a sorry decision. So yeah, this is purely Andrea Pirlo recognizing something within, you know, Weston McKinney that he can bring to this Juventus team. It's interesting, the Vidal comparison. Like, I kind of, I guess, not not shrugged, but I kind of squinted at that just because I, I don't know if you can compare their physicality. Um, but if you're talking about... I, that that maybe, is actually what I'm mostly comparing is the is their physicality. I... I I'm trying not to be biased, but I do. No, I know. So, like Weston is extremely athletic, and like, yeah. and I know we talked about how good he is in the air, but you know that's just like underpins like his athleticism, I think. And I, I that's where I think actually the comparisons are the best because like I think at this point in Weston's career, he's not as good of a passer or or like you know retaining the ball as. Of Vidal was in his prime, right? So I'm talking purely athleticism and a box-to-box style. Yeah, I, I guess in terms of like stylistically, yes, I see what right. you're saying. That's very fair. I think he has a ways to go before he gets to Vidal's level, but you make a yeah. very fair Agreed. stylistic, you know, call out. So I, I think so. I think Weston McKinney gets minutes. I think. He even starts maybe a couple times in the first, I would say, five weeks. And when I say weeks, I don't mean match days. I mean weeks of time. Um, so that's closer to like eight or nine match days. But, um, yeah, I, I have high hopes for him. Like, this is a bold move for someone his age. But if he feels like he's ready, go for it. Absolutely, without a doubt. If you can put Aaron Ramsey on the bench – you know, that's the spot you're competing on. Basically, that difficult, honestly. But <laughs> Aaron Ramsey did not have an amazing season, so sure. Yeah, he didn't. Well, he also just didn't play a lot. Like, you know, a thousand minutes over the course of a season is pretty much a rotational player. So yeah, it's it's not um, it's it's not a tied down spot for for Aaron Ramsey and Andrea Pirlo's team, and I think just. So if you don't like the Vidal comparison, if you're not if you're not in love with that comparison, Emre Chan, what do you feel about that? Is I think that's better. I think it's Emre better. Chan, yeah. yeah. And the reason I came up with that yeah. is is just from Elias I've sent Elias a couple of links on this stuff. Um like Smarter Scout, which is this basically this website that assesses like players' effectiveness and like their playing style tendencies and benchmarks it all against the performance as like at a given league standard. And when you look and when, and on one of the tools, there's, you can look at like similar players for playing styles and, and the match ratings and all that stuff. And when I did that for McKenney, Emery Chan's last two seasons, the playing style and, and the actual like output was very similar to us. And so I, I think maybe that's a better, a more realistic kind of um, comparison. And if he turns into that type of player, that's still a very useful player, especially for Juve. And that's 
still a very extremely useful player for the U.S. national team. Oh, absolutely. I think that's still a very good bar to hit for him, especially at 22. So he has, he has a very bright future, um, intelligent player, athletic player. He, he's, he's got a good future. So. All right. Well, that should we take our next break, Ellis, and come back with a few more questions. We shall. Next question is going to be about uh, basically all of whatever Chelsea are up to. So we'll be back to talk about that. All right, we're back talking the next question up from our beloved listeners. Rion, what's the next question? Question very near and dear to my heart, of course. Um, and no, I did not actually send this one in. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, a question from our listeners. Do you believe Chelsea signings this offseason will make them the favorites to win the champions? Sorry, win the Premier League. <laughs> Freudian slip, sorry. Um, it is, and, 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 I, and, I, and we got, we got a, we had a second question that was, is Chelsea's season a failure if they don't win the, the Premier League? So, Elise, would you like to, to start off on that? Because as you said during the break, I will most likely have a bit more to say. But So... It's it's a good question, and I think it's a natural question that comes up given the, the strength, especially of Chelsea's signings. But let's realistically break it down for a second. Chelsea have signed Zeke, who I think is by far the best signing of the summer, especially at that price. Uh, out of all of their signings, great, all, value just for value. great value for an amazing player. Um, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz is on his way. Um, Tiago Silva from PSG on a free. So they got a lot stronger, but there's a big, big, but you cannot rule out the consistency of Manchester city and Liverpool. It's not about Chelsea getting, you know, it's not about Chelsea just getting stronger. It's about the strength overall of city and Liverpool already. I don't know if Chelsea will be able to overcome that. I do think, however, Chelsea should be in the conversation for top three side slash title contender because, I mean, in a COVID world, anything is possible with the amount of games, you know, in such a short period of time. I guess in a a non-perfect world, it is entirely possible that they're title contenders. Do I think that they will be? My answer would probably be no because you have to also recognize that this is the first time that Chelsea squad is going to be playing together. City squads at the core of their squad, same with Liverpool. They've been playing together for at least two to three years. So it's very different when you start off fresh, like Timo Werner and Thiago Silva. Just, I'm trying to imagine like getting past that language barrier, even to communicate on like a corner. Just no, it, it, you got to give it some time. So Chelsea fans, I think you have a lot to look forward to over the next five years. Genuinely a lot to look forward to. Um, but I, do I think you're going to win the Premier League this season? No. Do I think that you will challenge for it at times, especially? Absolutely. Do I think it's a failure if they don't win? No, for the same reason I said earlier about having a, the core of their team. Chelsea are just getting the core of their team together. Liverpool and City have had theirs for years. That's a big, big difference for developing consistency over time. So I don't think it's a failure. I think it would be a failure if they did not make the Champions League um, spots for next season, though. That, I think, would be considered a failure. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that it would have to be a pretty big disaster to, to not make top four with, with the signings coming in now, and it would mean a whole other thing. I mean, the manager may not be there, but I'm with you. It's not a failure if they don't win the Premier League next season. They're two big things, as Elias basically said, too. Consistency and cohesion in the team. They can't touch those right now in Liverpool and Manchester City. And again, I guess we don't know what will be a, be Manchester City in four weeks. You know, this That team could look a lot different themselves. But the chemistry and the consistency that Liverpool showed last season, and we'll see in the least they're going to show the same cohesion as a team, you know, as a team that, did not change very much during this really weird 
accelerated summer um, offseason. The most important thing, I think, is probably the teams that have their same manager as last season and for the most part have their same core. I think that's something that Chelsea is now kind of changing around. The core is, is, is different this season than it was last season. It's younger. That's great. But that also means that's going to take more time for them to gel as a team. I think we're going to see them probably drop some points in the first seven or eight games and look disjointed. And as we talked about weeks ago, the narrative will already start that, oh, this team should be challenging for the title. And you'll most likely already get the whispers of how much longer does Frank Lampard have? Meanwhile, it's not really probably going to be any sort of issue within the actual club, right? So I think the expectations is this team should easily make top four. This team should at least give, be, I'd say, within a puncher's shot of the title in like January or February. And by puncher's shot, I mean like within, let's say within like 10 points of the title, going into like February or something like that. And they'll either they'll probably like fall off a little bit, or even if they finish 10 to 12 points off the title, that's a huge improvement on the, on the previous season. But I think they will be, I think it would be fair to expect them to be in and around second, third place for most of, for the business end of the season. The second half of the season should be the time when they gel and they're more consistent but that's the big step. It's the consistency. That was the biggest problem with, with Chelsea last season. All the young players, you know, going and beating Liverpool, sorry, beating Manchester City during the restart, but also losing to West Ham like the next game. Like So that's the stuff that needs to get cut out. And with Thiago Silva coming in, perhaps that helps. We have to temper our expectations a little bit because he's 36, even though he looked great in the Champions League. Let's... We should also note that he looked great in the Champions League. And if he keeps up his fitness, which it sounds like he wants to, and he has said he wants to be on the Brazilian national team for the World Cup in two years. So if he's serious about that and he keeps his body in shape and is the professional that pretty much everyone knows him as, and he's been still one of the best center backs in Europe, even the last couple of years in the Champions League, at least, um, then yeah, Chelsea should be, like I said, in, in and around third and second and third place or an end. They shouldn't really end below fourth, obviously, but uh, I think a fair expectation is third place and, and maybe giving second place a push. Yep. I, I think that's a completely valid way of looking at Chelsea's expectations. Do not expect them to win the title, but don't also expect them to completely fall flat because this is a good team, right? This is a good squad. Um, and don't forget that Tiago Silva is, is a true leader. Like it very much knows how to get a team together, especially on the field. Um, so he held Dub Luiz's hand in the national team for <laughs> a decade. So and and I, you I, saw I, what happened when he wasn't there for that one exactly. game. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that you're spot on with, with, Chelsea expectations. I'm really excited to watch them and obviously really excited to watch Pulisic. Um, but yeah, Chelsea are not going to win the title. They'll, they'll be a good fun team to watch over the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and they'll, they'll probably have like they did last season, a couple big wins against big teams and, and they'll look great. But then also they might lose to Burnley like three, one at home like randomly and you'll have no idea why this happened, but that's the stuff they're trying to, if they can, if they can stomp those out, then they will be a legit, at least pusher to Liverpool and Manchester city, even if they may not ultimately have enough to get it over the line. But if they're able to, to deal with the consistency problems of last season, then this is a, a this talent level of this team is a step above what, what last season was. So Agreed. there's, there's reasons to be very excited but at the same time, we have to remember that, that that the best players on this team are within the age ranges of 21 to 24. So, fair enough, fair enough. Well, that's Chelsea from uh, from I guess the fan perspective. I think that answers that. 
Rian, another question sticking in the Premier League. Um, Wilfred Zaha, uh, you know, a man that has just, I guess he's notoriously known for ruining top sides' you know, results, essentially. Mm. Um, what is his deal? Because he has had a couple of standout performances over the last, I would say, two years. Um, but, I mean, with Crystal Palace where they're at, where where does Wilfred Zaha go? That's the, the interesting thing. You know, we saw, I think we saw at the beginning of the year, or even at times during uh, last year's summer window, Crystal Palace quoting his value at something like 80 million pounds, which was fucking ridiculous. And easy to see why no one was even, it was remotely considering paying that much for Wilfred Zaha. I honestly think it's more likely that he stays than goes. I don't see any team who is in the Champions League, and that's what he wants. He wants to play in Europe. He wants to play ideally for a Champions League team. I'm trying to think Europa League teams that leaves it with Tottenham and um, I believe Arsenal, right? And neither of those teams look likely to go and spend that money for Wilfred Zaha, who's you know, we, we he hasn't. I know it's easy to say he hasn't proven that he could do it for a big club because he's mostly been at Crystal Palace. But he's not at the point, I think, in his career where a team is willing to pay that much money to have him come. And a team who's in the Champions League, especially, to have him come and be potentially a squad player at the beginning and try to work his way in or something like that. It just the value doesn't make any sense there. So I think that he's more likely to stay. Palace as a whole, they brought in... This kid from QPR, Eberiche Eze. I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's, it's a Nigerian name. I don't, I apologize <laughs> to diaspora. our friend yeah, yeah. But um, but 22 year old England youth international could still could still join Nigeria at some point. Um, but signed they signed him from QPR this summer for 17 million pounds, and he's one of, one of the best players in the championship last season. He's had the third highest rating on uh, on the radio website who scored in the championship, 14 goals, eight assists last year. And he can play pretty much anywhere across that, across the uh, attacking mid line, whether it's left wing, the number 10 right wing. And he also has played like in, in the number 10 or sorry, in like center mid a little deeper too. So he actually has a pretty similar playing style. Like same thing going back to the smarter scout, his playing style, very similar to Wilfred Zaha. And I think it's more of a someone to compliment Wilfred Zaha, someone that they don't have to rely on just... Crystal Palace's attacking style was give Zaha the ball and let him do some tricks. And yeah, sometimes that'll end in a goal. (laughs) This is a good signing for them, I think, just to at least give someone else for him to play off of. And and a bit more um, flair in their attack, so that's a, that's a player just to look out for in general. I think Eberiche as a as a whole, I think that's again a complimentary piece to throw in with with Zaha, with Zaha, and who knows, maybe he blows up too, and and he actually becomes a player worth I don't know about eighty million pounds, but a player worth a Champions League um, a Champions League team's money, so. You're gonna. It's gonna take a lot to convince me that Wil, Wilfred Zaha is worth basically the same, if not more, than Frankie De Jong. So yeah, no, I don't believe that. But I, I do believe that he's a quality player. He's also in his prime right now. He's 27, I believe, and he, he still has kind of uh, several you know, good years in front of him. I do think that he is prime for a move outside of Crystal Palace. So regardless of the support he gets, because I think. He deserves that sort of recognition from a, a you know top side or at least a you know mid table to top side. Um, for some reason, I feel like he would just fit in great at either Valencia or Villarreal. Um, that's kind of what stands out to me. I know that he probably wouldn't move to Spain. Just I say that like I know him, but just from the way he plays, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that would be a good potential fit for him. But anyway, that's that's another discussion for another day. So. <laughs> Last question, Rian, that we have up in uh, the Q&A podcast. Philadelphia Union, our hometown, 
our our home club in the MLS. Even though they play in Chester, PA. Even though, even though they play in Chester, PA. Rian, I mean, the Union have been really, really good the last year or so. Like, just very, very much on fire. And, of course, that's going to breed recognition from, you know, other teams throughout the MLS and even potentially in Europe. So one of our listeners is asking, you know, Brendan Aronson, right? He is a U.S. men's national team player, has started, you know, on the up. Is he the next player to become pseudo Alfonso Davies, but American? Oh, my God. Is he, <laughs> what, so what's, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, so you know, our, our listener was asking, like, is he is he the next guy, next national team player to, to jump, to make the jump to Europe? And I guess before I get into him, we should should note that Reggie Cannon, the right back who's on FC Dallas, who's who has been a pretty big part of the U.S. national team in the last two years, especially um, once Burr Halter came in, he is reportedly moving to Boa Vista in Portugal. He was a, he was reportedly in Portugal this past weekend doing some, um, I believe, some medicals and perhaps signing contract as well. But th- that's not confirmed yet. But he might literally be the next guy to make the jump. Um, but just on Brennan Aronson, for those of you who do not know him, 19-year-old midfielder, pretty much plays like a number 10. He was a part of the Union's academy. So like one of their first, actually pretty much their first homegrown product along with Mark McKenzie, who I'll get on to later. But first one to, I think, really break out in MLS. And I think that's actually been the big reason why the union have kind of come on the last couple of seasons, because their academy is developing players now. And that's, that was kind of the next step for all of these MLS teams, by the way. But that, that's a big step for them, and that, that helps them be more competitive on the field for sure. But just back to Aronson, has first U.S. Men's, team, men's National Team call-up in October 2019, his first cap this past January, and reportedly there were scouts from the Bundesliga watching him during the MLS's back tournament that was going on in Orlando um, back in July that we must note Nani was unbelievable during the tournament took Orlando city to the final and they lost, but, but, but back, back to, back to the scouts, notably Bruce and Mukenglad, Gladbach had scouts at, at uh, Brendan Aronson's game. So that's a potential move for him. He was also in the best 11 of the tournament. So he's, he's a really energetic player. Like he seems like he would really fit the Bundesliga in general as like, he's, just about like 5'10", 5'11", but really nice passer, really nice on the ball. You watch him, and, and he looks really frantic on the ball, which I think throws people off, and, and he's he had a great pat, a great assist in that tournament, in the MLS's back tournament as well. I think he definitely will, will be moving to Europe sometime in the next six months. Um. I'm not sure anything will be agreed upon before the MLS's season or restart season is fully over. So he's probably more of a, a January move. But another player I should definitely note, as I mentioned before, Mark McKenzie, who's a 20-year-old center back on the uh, union, who has been, in the games I've watched, just looks like it's come very, it's very easy for him now in the MLS. Like it's one of those things where I think I was watching them play the Red Bull last, uh, like a week ago or two weeks ago. And he, everything that was coming his way, he was stopping effortlessly, effortlessly and making tackles, interceptions, everything doing it so smooth. I I think he's also a guy to look out for. He had his first cap, the U S cap at, January against Costa Rica, and I believe the same game as Brendan Aronson. Similarly, he was also in the best 11 in the MLS's back tournament, and there were scouts that were watching him during that tournament as well. I, I think he's been mostly linked to a move to Celtic, which would be a great move for him. Um, I have no clue how much he'll be starting when it when he gets to Celtic, but that's a team that's regularly in the Champions League, and that is Champions League experience for him 
and potentially Brendan Aronson if he's if he's to move to a to one of the Europe's like big five leagues. So two really good homegrown prospects from the Union that I think have a chance to make the jump to Europe, but I I think they genuinely will be um, playing in Europe in twenty twenty one. It's it's amazing to me the level of talent now coming from the youth academies in the MLS now starting in kind of I guess mid tier teams throughout Europe really not any specific league um, and then making a further jump from there it's almost like a natural progression right and I think exactly. the, the, the most positive thing you know for excuse me with all of these stories is that there's at least a reference point now that I don't think really existed before Christian Pulisic, right? You can point to, I mean, yes, the Americans that came before him, you know, obviously Clint Dempsey being the obvious one. Um, you, you can point to that story, but that was, that wasn't a reference point. That was more of an anomaly. And so now it's becoming sort of a, l- a little bit more common because the skill level within the MLS and within the academies has improved due to you know teams heavy investment in proper mm-hmm. coaching, proper facilities, et cetera. It makes a difference. Um, you know, I think that's something the U.S. men's national team can learn from, but it's a <laughs> d- different story. Um, yeah, it is, yeah. But but there but the national team will be a direct benefactor of it. And right, you know, I, I don't know if many people know this, but over the, recently, I think in the last in the last three months, the U.S. national team or U.S. Soccer Federation pretty much scrapped their own development academies that they had and have left it pretty much to the MLS um, and the USL, which is the second tier um, here in the U S those teams, those uh, teams and leagues are pretty much taking over the whole, uh, I guess, academy system development uh, tournaments and competition and stuff for, for youth players they're pretty much taking it over now. And, and that might be for the best because Elias knows how much trust I have in the U S soccer Federation as a whole. Uh, so I think this is probably for the best. This is, this is these kind of things that you see with Mark McKenzie and Brennan Aronson and Reggie Cannon and even Alfonso Davies. Like this is all products of teams investing more in their, in their youth academies and the league as a whole, the MLS league as a whole making it a requirement for teams now to have these academy teams and and to have the youth teams and to invest in it because now they finally realize like their place in the market pretty much like the MLS was trying to have their own closed system in a market that is purely open where for other leagues and stuff now. So, but they're getting onto it. It's taking time. It's, Ultimate benefactors, like we said, will be the national team. This is all good stuff to see these players come through MLS academies and then go to Europe because that's the way that the league takes the next step. And and that's how the league grows is to be seen as like a league that big teams can come and find diamonds in the rough, find youth prospects and stuff. So no, if, if MLS becomes something like, I know this is like way too high of a bar, but something like you're the Vizzy of, of, of the Western hem or sorry, of like North and South America, then that would be a great thing for the league. Agreed. I think the future of American football is very, very bright in terms of talent. I mean, it's come, you, you went through everything. It's come so far in the last 10 years. That's not even funny. So there's a lot to look forward to. And, and I think a lot of people that support European clubs should look forward to potentially seeing American youth products uh, starting off on their team. I know I am in Barcelona. Um, and I know obviously you are in on Chelsea. So um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time to be an, an American football fan. So I think that's all the questions that we had, Rian. Um, thank you to everyone that did submit a question. Um, it's been great reading them and going through and going through them. Of course, we'll be back. Soccer, football in Europe is starting up again soon. The first of the leagues in La Liga actually starts September 12th. So we'll be back September 11th, actually. Yeah, September 11th, 12th yeah. weekend. So we'll be, be back sooner rather than later. And uh, we'll have some previews. We'll have to have some previews soon as well.
Oh my God. Yeah. We'll have some previews <laughs> next week, but yeah. Thank you guys for listening as always. And we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks guys.